swim down to the crew with your dive team and you know you see the spacesuits underwater you know and they're already working on the iss and it's just the overall vastness of the iss in itself is just some of the most amazing unique sites that you ever see everything that they do here at the nbl they will they will do in space they'll, they'll know what to do when they do and how to do it once they get on orbit and perform the actual eba some of the video footage that you're seeing them while they're performing the EVAs and you know you recognize the hardware and you know that this facility and this team has been an integral part of them performing that. Welcome to Small Steps, Giant Leaps, a NASA Apple Knowledge Services podcast where we tap into project experiences to share best practices, lessons learned, and novel ideas. I'm Dina Nunley. Spacewalks are essential for current and future space initiatives, and the Neutral Buoyancy Laboratory at NASA's Johnson Space Center is the foundation for successful spacewalk preparation. Jim Serafin, a critical systems engineer at the NBL, has been a diver training astronauts in the huge indoor pool for 25 years and joins us now. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being our guest. Hi, Dina. Thanks for having me. The Neutral Buoyancy Laboratory is often described as one of NASA's coolest training facilities. Could you tell us about the NBL and what makes it unique? Yeah, it's quite an amazing facility. It's built to train astronauts for spacewalks. It has a large tank in it. It is 102 feet wide, 202 feet long. It's 40 feet deep, and it has 6.2 million gallons of chlorinated freshwater in it, and it's maintained at 86 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's unique to, just due to the fact that it's used exclusively to train crew to uh, perform their EVAs on full-scale International Space Station mock-ups in it. And uh, everything that they do here at the MBL, they will, they will do in space. So they'll know what to do, when to do, and how to do it once they get on orbit and perform the actual EVA. What's your role at the NBL? I am currently in the uh, critical systems engineering group, and uh, I am responsible for the the life support systems that uh, keep the crew members alive and well while they're in the water. Uh, Throughout my years here at the NBL, I've uh, also been in the dive operations group where I actually exclusively uh, just dove with the crew and uh, helped them train to you know, perform all their EVAs and all the aspects that go along with that is, you know, which includes, you know, the, the configuration of the, the mock-ups and set up, you know, before and after the, the crew get in for for their respective uh, flights that they're, they're assigned to. How did you land a job as a professional diver training astronauts? Well, it's not the typical route that uh, one would think. I grew up on a, a family dairy farm in uh, rural upstate New York, and uh, I, as well as my brother Mike, who is now the Artemis mission manager, uh, oddly enough, uh, we grew up together milking cows, and uh, he he at a very young age uh, knew that he wanted to work for NASA, and he basically had laser focus from a kid, and uh, he took a very straight path to to working for NASA, and uh, he ended up landing a job with uh, the agency after going to college. And uh, he asked me if I wanted to move down to Houston with him 
and uh, I, of course, jumped at the opportunity to uh, to move to Houston, and uh, we moved down to Houston in 1994, and uh, Mike Mike got a job as a uh, a flight controller pretty early on, and uh, I was I was working in the the automotive industry, and I uh, I eventually learned of the the job job opening here at the neutral buoyancy lab and i never never had nasa in my sights but uh i i really was excited about the opportunity and they were doing some major upgrades to accommodate the up-and-coming need for more training and uh i was fortunate enough to just be able to apply to the job with with my uh, mechanical and electrical background skills and uh, thankfully uh i was fortunate enough to be able to get the job and thankfully 25 plus years later i'm still working at the neutral buoyancy laboratory you mentioned configurations and the setup so what's involved in setting up different configurations for crew training yeah so there's quite a vast array of items that need to be set up it you know it can start with anything from actually getting the the large mock-ups in and out of water which it's a major undertaking. It requires the overhead bridge cranes and big lifts from the high bays and in and out of the water. You know, in the event that we need to change mock-ups or reconfigure the mock-ups, all the way down to some some smaller items or medium-sized items that the divers can actually swim down from from topside down to the mock-ups and configure them for that mission for the day or whatever specific task that the crew member is going to be working on. And these configurations, do they change out pretty quickly? What's the process there? You know, now that the ISS has been assembled for quite some time now, there's um, some upgrades. You know, the the space station was initially only built for NASA. And uh, now that we have all these other private entities that are coming and Docking to the the ISS, there will be some some different modifications in like the the wiring harnesses, you know, because they'll need power or data to certain locations. So we might run some some new cabling or even up to a a different docking adapter, which you know is in place now. It's the international docking adapter, which you know SpaceX or Boeing uh, will will dock to now when they go to the space station. So what kind of team does it take to make all of these changes in the configurations within the pool? It's quite a good handful of people. You know, it takes uh, quite a few people on, on top side to be able to support and assist and, you know, with, with getting whatever hardware needs to be in the water, you know, configured and to the divers, you know, and if, if it's larger items, uh, we'll need, uh, crane operators and some other uh, personnel to, to manage the large mock-ups while they're getting in and out of the water. And there's quite a quite a large amount of uh, people in the dive team that exclusively dive and support crew training uh, day in and day out, as well as uh, perform you know the the in-water task to you know either maintain and or repair the mock-ups uh, as they need it throughout the duration of the year. How much time does an NBL diver spend underwater? That's a good question. That varies 
pretty drastically, and a lot of that depends just on how how long a diver's been at the NBL throughout their career. You know, and that that number varies from we have on one individual he has over ten thousand hours dive time here at the facility. You know, just due to the fact that he's he's exclusively supported um, dive ops for the duration of his career here, and you know, and that number can dwindle all the way down to you know some of our newer divers who only have a few hundred hours while they're they're getting trained and uh, signed off for their their respective duty stations. Then on top of that, there's also some um, other personnel like myself who are considered reachback divers, and uh, we don't dive day in day out, but we're we're available in the event that uh, you know there's they need assistance with the with the dive team, so we're we're always available if needed. How do the hours of an NBL diver compare with a recreational scuba diver? A typical scuba diver, a recreational scuba diver outside of the facility, you know, though they normally won't have the, the number of dive hours that we do here at the MBL. You know, they may have a, a few hundred over over their lifetime. But here at the MBL, we, you know, we dive two up to three hours uh, per dive and uh, a maximum of five hours dive time per day. So, you know, depending on what the individual diver is doing for the day, you know, they, they may dive five hours, five days a week. And, you know, that's, that's on the high end. And, uh, just for on a typical week, you know, the, the dive team, the diver leader dive two or two or four hours a day, just depending on what duty station they're assigned to while they're, they're supporting training. What challenges have you faced as a diver? There's some challenges because, you know, we're working with things in water, so corrosion's kind of the big thing. And, you know, we'll we'll run into bolts to get stuck or, you know, hardware that just doesn't want to separate or cooperate just due to some corrosion. Uh, that's the, really the only the big thing. And as a diver, you just know how to manipulate that and get past that obstacle? <laughs> yes, yeah, most of the time we can work with it and uh if the crew member's not able to get whatever item to cooperate correctly you know we'll step in as divers and see if we can break the bolt loose or you know be able to move the hardware so it it acts better in the water and so that's that's kind of the the only real challenge that we come across what are some of the highlights of your nbl crew training experiences over the years some of the highlights of my career early on when I was, you know, first first diving here at the NBL, where you know you first put your head underwater and uh, you know you swim down to the crew with your dive team, and you know you see the spacesuits underwater, you know, and they're they're already working on the ISS, and it just just the overall vastness of the ISS in itself is. These are some of the most amazing, unique sites that you ever see. Seeing the, the Hubble Space Telescope in the water—that was—that was a pretty, pretty fun uh, EVA to be part of and help help train the crew with. Because you know that specifically, that instrument was never meant to have been serviced or worked on in space. So we had to go 
you know, learn how to repair this thing in space that didn't have any accommodations to, you know, for, for crew to, to work on this thing. So a lot of new hardware, a lot of new tools had to be developed just to be able to perform the, the repairs and uh, upgrades that uh, required to perform, you know, whatever they wanted to do to the telescope. And in addition to that, you know, there, there was another item, the alpha magnetic spectrometer, that was the same thing that, it was never meant to have been serviced or worked on, but uh, over a few years of R&D, we were able to uh, come up with a plan, and uh, you know the crew went up on orbit, and they performed a very successful EVA to uh, perform some upgrades to the, to the hardware and uh, got some new breath of life into the, to the instrument, so it, it's performing better on orbit. How gratifying is that to get to be part of training the crew for these missions? Oh, it's absolutely amazing. And it's definitely the fruits of our labor because, you know, we're we're in the water with them while they're performing their training over over how many months that this training's performed and eventually we'll get to watch them launch and uh eventually perform perform those EVAs and uh, they're extremely proficient they they do such an exceptional job once they get to space so it's it's great to be a part of that jim did you ever have somewhere along in your career doing this and being a professional diver at the nbl did you have that moment where it was like wow i'm helping to train these astronauts so that they can do their job in space <laughs> yeah you do you do have a, a wow moment once in a while you know and, and that could be while you're in the pool just uh watching them do whatever task that they're working on or you know you just look at a, a certain angle as, as you're looking up from the from the depths of the pool up towards the mock-up and you know it's it's kind of a really surreal moment or also you know while while they're in space just you know some of the video footage that you're seeing them while they're performing the EVAs and, you know, you recognize the hardware and you know that this facility and this team has been an integral part of them performing that. And the NBL has been featured in movies, right? Yes, that's correct. There there have been two movies filmed here. The The big blockbuster was Armageddon and uh, the second was uh, Space Cowboys. I was, I was not uh, working at the facility when they filmed Armageddon, but I, I started working here shortly thereafter, so I saw the big premiere, and after I was already employed here, then I was fortunate enough to be here when Space Cowboys was here, and uh, that was that was a pretty neat experience, just seeing what it took to actually perform you know, the, the filming and the integration between the facility and all of Hollywood's hardware and such, and uh, you know, I, I was even fortunate enough to be able to, uh, you know, meet and greet some of the the cast members, and of course, the, the highlight was Clint Eastwood. So I was able to share a little conversation with him and uh, be able to sit down next to him and uh, eat lunch with him. That sounds like so much fun. Yeah, so it's been a lot of fun, and uh, you know, Tom Cruise was also here. He came by to tour the facility. You know, they toured NASA here at JSC because he was going to narrate the 3D IMAX for the Hubble Space Telescope. How is the NBL supporting future NASA missions? Yeah, so 
that's been some of the new exciting uh, training that we've been providing here at the MBL. Where we have some some early training going on to be able to perform one six Earth gravity training. So we're we're training for lunar spacewalks, and uh, it might sound funny, but uh, we actually have sand in the bottom of the pool. And uh, there's sand as well as uh, rock mock-ups and actual uh, physical rocks for the uh, the crew to train on. So we're trying to get ahead of the curve for uh, for lunar training, and we also have the new the new XEMU here, which we utilize for for that training because the EMU was you know was never designed to walk. So that's what the XEMU is designed for. So we're we're doing some early training with that. What are the most rewarding aspects of providing NBL support? Yeah, some of the most rewarding aspects are just you know being being able to be part of the team that uh, you know works works with the crew and working with the crew is just such an amazing thing in itself because their backgrounds are phenomenal. Their their successful careers and such. It's it's just an amazing thing to be able to work with them and uh, just help them, you know, perform a successful EVA on orbit that you and this MBL team were a part of. And that's one of the biggest rewards of being out here and being a part of this team. Well, this has been so fascinating and so much fun. Jim, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Dina. It's, it's been great, and I appreciate you having me. Jim's bio, a show transcript, and links to topics discussed during our conversation, including a recent interview with his brother Mike, are available at apple.nasa.gov slash podcast. If you like the podcast, please follow us on your favorite podcast app and share the episode with your friends and colleagues. As always, thanks for listening to Small Steps, Giant Leaps.